Let's pray as we dig into the Word today. Father in heaven, as we open up Scripture, Lord, would you reveal truth to us? Would you give us encouragement today? Would you bring us comfort when comfort's necessary? And most of all, Lord, would you show us you have won the victory? Would that be a reality to us today? That no matter where we struggle, no matter what is the barrier between us and you, or living out the life that you've called us to, that you have already won the victory. Father, show us that today. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Well, happy Memorial Day. Who all's got big cookout plans tomorrow? Not coming to any of y'all's houses? Nobody's got a cookout going on tomorrow? Wow. Somebody smoke something, Bo. All right, Bo's going to smoke something. Everybody be at Bo's house tomorrow around 6 p.m. Sound good? All right. They're camper. We'll text out directions, all that kind of stuff. Expect about 50 people. Does that work? All right, good deal. I like brisket. Okay, good deal. Anyways, we've been going through Romans uh, since the end of January, um, and we are finally up to chapter 7 of the book of Romans. If you can't tell, it's going to take us a while to get through this whole whole thing. We'll be in and out of Romans throughout this whole year. But if you're like me, uh, as I've studied Romans, um, maybe Romans has encouraged you a lot. Maybe you feel like you've learned a lot from Romans and, and it's helped you with your walk as a believer. I told you when we started this that if you really focused on, on this year learning the book of Romans and digging into the truths of Romans, it will change your walk with the Lord. At the same time, it's beat the living daylights out of me. Uh, you may have been discouraged some, too, when you've heard some of the things Paul writes um, and how it applies to our lives and thought, wow, i got a long way to go. Uh, maybe last week when, when we were talking about how, you know, you got to choose one or the other, and really for the last three weeks, I think, maybe four weeks, it's been that theme. You have, have two choices in life. You can choose, it began with the line of Adam or the line of Jesus, then it broke it down even more. You can choose to be a slave of righteousness or a slave to sin. There's really no other choice. Everyone is a slave to something. And for believers, you are either a slave to Jesus or a slave to the world. And maybe when you walked out last week, you thought, I'm motivated, that's I know things, the things I need to work on. I'm going to make an effort and put a foot forward and really try to step out of this slavery to sin that I know I've been dealing with. I'm going to try to change. And then Monday came, and you broke into the same habits. You watched the same shows, clicked on the same websites, had the same thoughts. And then you start to think, how can I possibly do this? Paul says you have to be a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to sin. And here I am doing the same things I did yesterday, yet I'm a believer. How, how in the world is this playing out for me? Why do I keep doing all of these things over and over again? And because of that, because all of us go through that season, that regular seasons of that come up in our life, uh, Romans chapter 7 should be extremely encouraging to all of us. Uh, this should open our eyes to the reality of how we live out faith. And what we're going to talk about is today, what must change within you in order to change what comes out of you? What, what do you have to change spiritually to change your actions that come out? What, what habit 
do you have to, to squash? Or what thought process or thought pattern do you need to kill in order to kill the sin in your life? And then the question, when you identify those, the next question is, all right, how exactly do I do that? And Paul says, well, you become a slave to righteousness and not a slave to sin. Okay, that seems pretty straightforward. How do I do that? It's that old, we've talked about, used this phrase many times. Old theologians would say you have to be killing sin or sin kills you. But maybe you walked out last Sunday or a previous Sunday and you've identified some things in your life that you know are keeping you from, from the great life that the Lord has for you, from living that abundant life. You've identified what those are and you're like, I tried to kill them. But they keep coming back. They're like zombies. They never die. Just keep coming and coming and coming. So what do you have to change in order to change? Well, as we dig into the Scripture today, be encouraged because Paul gives us somewhat of an answer in this. But let's pick up today's text in chapter 7, verse 14. Here's what Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, so to understand. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, when you hear that coming from the Apostle Paul, this is probably the expression you've got on your face. Not that. Click the picture. There we go. Yeah, we're probably like, what are you talking about? You are the Apostle Paul. You had a face-to-face with Jesus. He came to you and knocked you down with a light from heaven. He called you to himself. And here you are saying, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. He wrote much of the New Testament. Yet, this Paul is saying he can't stop with sin. He does what he doesn't want to do, but he can't do what he wants to do. How does that make any sense? How does that apply to us? He told us you are either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. So presumably, he's choosing to be a slave to righteousness. And he says, I keep doing what I don't want to do. A lot of us could probably relate to that. But he takes it even further. Down in verse 18, he says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And most of us are like, Amen. I want to do the right thing, but I can't. Verse 19, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. When Paul uses the word flesh in there, he talks about how there's nothing good that lives within me, nothing good of my flesh. He's not just talking about your skin and and your bones and all those things. When Paul uses flesh in this context, he's talking about all of us, like every bit of us. That means your body. That's why he said, do not present your body to sin in last week's passage. But he says, do not present any of your members to sin. And remember, he's talking about your body, your mind. He's talking even about your soul apart from Christ, that it is all just rotten to the core. We can't stop sinning. It's what we talk about regularly. It all boils down to the lust of the eyes, 
The lust of the flesh and the pride of life. When, when he talks about the lust of the flesh in that context, he is talking about our physical lusts. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, it all lives within me. And I can't stop the things that I don't want to do. There's a new me. I have been recreated. There is a new creation in Jesus Christ. I am not the old person that I once was. But at the same time that that's playing out, that God is doing that within me, there is still this sinful nature. And those two things are constantly warring against each other within us. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. Maybe even in this very moment you're experiencing that. Your mind is just racing with, with thoughts of, of doubt or sin and, and you just can't shake it. And maybe the enemy's whispering this in your head, this, this is, none of this is true, it doesn't apply to you, you're not good enough, you can't ever change, you're just, you are what you are, just be happy with it and live that way. Maybe you're dealing with something in your life right now where you're like, I know I've got to stop doing this because it's destroying me or it's destroying my relationships. And you're fighting that fight all of the time. This desire to do what is good or what is holy. But the same old habits keep coming back in. If you're a believer in Christ, luckily we can say, Praise God, I'm saved. Nothing can snatch me out of His hand. But those desires, I still fight them. I've been a Christian since I was 13 years old. been in church my whole life. I've been a Christian since I was 13. I still fight some of the same things I fought when I was a teenager. I'm 46 in two weeks. I've been a pastor for over 10 years now. How do I still fight those things? But Paul fought them. That should be encouraging to us, knowing that even the Apostle Paul deals with these same struggles that we deal with. In verse 21, he says this, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. What he's saying is, it is a basic principle of life that when I want to do something good, evil's right there waiting on me. It's right there pulling me away from the good things in my life. And then he continues, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And making me captive for the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul is, is laying out some realities of life that we've got to come to terms with if we're ever going to, to live out the life that he talked about earlier in Romans, where we are slaves to righteousness and no longer slaves to sin, where we can turn away from those habits, even though there are times we're going to fail at that. He has some realities that we need to recognize and come to terms with. Reality number one is you are, we are all at war. There is a war raging within us and all around us. 
the war of the, the flesh against the war of the spirit, the war of good against the war of evil. It is all going on right now in your soul. That war is raging within you. You know, most of us, when we become a Christian, and some of you have been a Christian for more than 10 years, maybe 20 years. Some of you may be brand new Christians or, or fairly new Christians. But most of us, when we become a Christian, we come in with this idea, well, I'm going to change. Things are going to be different. And then we find out really quick that being a Christian or proclaiming to be a Christian does not eliminate sinful desire. We still struggle with it. I know that if we went around the room this morning and asked you, are you struggling with a sinful desire? Every single one of you, if you're honest, say yes. There's something in my life that I'm, I'm struggling with. And, and it may change from season to season where you struggle with this right now and you finally tackle that and then something else creeps back in. And you just continue fighting it. When you become a Christian, those things don't end. When you become a maturing Christian, it equips you to fight it. You know, we look around society right now. I know when I watch the news or just read a blog or read something on whatever, it's pretty discouraging. And we think, man, this world's falling apart. And from our perspective, it is falling apart. But the truth is, none of that matters if we're not taking care of the war that we have raging within ourselves. Yet most Christians, we don't bother with it. We just succumb to it. It's just what it is. So this reality, there's this war raging within us and, and there's this thing going on in society. We're not taking care of it inside ourselves. So why would we expect the world to be any different when we're not? Reality number two is we have to recognize the victory's already been won. This war that we're fighting every single day, there is victory already in hand. And, and when we know that victory is in hand, it changes the way that you fight the war. Or it should. That, that's why way over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes this. He says in chapter 15 verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, there will become a day when people will not die. Jesus is coming back, so not everyone is going to die. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. The victory has already been won. You have already received victory. You are going through a progressive sanctification that will end in your ultimate sanctification, which just means you're being made into the image of the Son of God. You are being molded into Jesus, a mirror image of who He is and His nature. And there will be a day when you are reunited with Christ where you will be perfect. And some of you probably look to the person sitting next to you. Look, Go ahead, let's do it. Look to the person sitting next to you. Tell them you'll be perfect one day. Now, spouses don't say, what do you mean I'm not perfect now? What are you talking about? Who's better than me? 
Now look, somebody on the other side. So we're all encouraged to say you will be perfect one day. So, somebody tell Chris up here. Nobody sit next to Chris. Chris, you will be perfect one day. That's what sanctification is. You have already won this battle, this war that's going on. But it's still a daily fight. And sometimes you walk into a day thinking it's going to be a great day for the Lord. I'm, I'm going to live it out. And then you give in to a temptation. And you feel terrible. You're racked with guilt sometimes, maybe. And you start telling yourself, nothing has changed within me. And then that becomes your reality. I'm no different. I'm never going to be any better. I just am what I am. But when we know that the victory has already been won, we can stop living in defeat. There are too many Christians walking around right now, and too many of you in this room, and too many of you joining us online, there's too many who are walking around right now in defeat, thinking you have already lost, that there's nothing in this life for you, and Scripture teaches us it's the exact opposite. You have not lost. Victory was won on the cross. It is yours. So what must you change in order to live out that change? Well, there's some principles I think we can take from Paul's teachings. Number one, you have to take responsibility for yourself. It is no one else's fault the mistakes that you make. It is also no one else's fault when you haven't grown in your faith. You have to take responsibility for your own actions and your own spiritual growth. It's on you. It's not on me. It's not on your mom and dad. It's not on your spouse. It's on you. I've told you all that a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, I was diagnosed as a diabetic. For any of you who've been around diabetics before, it kind of sucks. You're having to prick your finger all the time. Man, it's terrible. And those fingers get really sore. So when I was first diagnosed, I was really good at it. You know, I was pricking my finger three, four, five times a day to make sure I could eat anything. <laughs> and uh, my blood sugars would be good, and I'd be like, all right, I can go, you know, I can eat this, or I can eat that. Or I'd be like, no, it's, it's bad. I better go eat some rabbit food, and this is just not going to be a good day for me. I'm not going to be happy. But then your fingers start getting really sore, and you don't want to prick them anymore. Well, I go, you go for regular checkups as a diabetic, so I would go, and they would say, hey, your, your numbers are looking good. So I would kind of relax a little bit. I'm not going to prick my finger as much because that hurts. It's getting old. I would re relax a little bit, and then I'd go back in a few months, and I'd say, what happened? Your numbers are going the wrong way. Ah, dang it. Now I've got to prick my finger again because I've got to know what's really going on. Uh, it, it's a roller coaster of a ride, and it has been for years until a couple months ago, I get this little uh, government tracker put in my arm where the CIA can tell where I'm at 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But on top of that, it also tells me, this is what your blood sugar is any moment you want to check it. Uh, so my fingers aren't sore anymore. I don't have to prick them very often unless this seems like it's out of whack. But I know exactly where I'm standing. And I know exactly what this food does to my blood sugar and what this food does, whether this one, because everybody's a little bit different in what affects us. So now I have the truth of what really brings me down, and it has been a game changer for me. Uh, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I had a cheeseburger last night, and this thing went, Boop. 
I had to turn the alarms off so it wouldn't, you know. But I know things are going to change my, my health because I have truth all the time attached to my arm. You have to take responsibility. You have to live in truth. If you ever want to expose this war that's going on within you, the temptations that you have within you. Uh, in, in John chapter 11, there's a story of Lazarus. And most of you all probably are familiar with the story. If you grew up in church, it's been told to you over and over again. And Lazarus dies. So they call the sisters of Lazarus, reach out to Jesus and say, hey, can you come? Lazarus is sick. He's about to die. And Jesus was like, I'll be there in a couple days. I'll get there when I get there. So Jesus finally shows up and the sisters are like, where have you been? If you had been here, he would not have died. You could have saved him and healed him. And Jesus is like, hold on, I ain't done yet. He goes to the, to the tomb and has the tomb opened up and he calls in and he's like, hey Lazarus, come out! And everybody's like, he's been in there three days, that's not going to smell great. He's like, hold on. Hey Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus, they begin to hear this stirring in the tomb. And Lazarus walks out of the tomb in his grave clothes because they had wrapped him up in how they would dress bodies at that time for burial. And Jesus, as he walks out, one of the first things he says, take off the grave clothes, go put on your robe. And I think we miss the significance of that. Because when we look at our life, we're walking around in grave clothes like we're already dead, but living people don't wear dead man's clothes. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. We have to live like we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You have victory. You are being sanctified. It is still a daily battle. It change, changes what happens in the way you live your life. When you understand who Jesus really is. Yet most of us are walking around just happy with the crumbs that we get on Sunday morning. The writer of Hebrews says we can't live that way. He says in Hebrews chapter 5, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. In other words, you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years. Why aren't you discipling people? Instead, you need someone to teach you again the very basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Did you pick up what he said there? We don't recognize the battle within us between right and wrong, righteousness and sin, when we're just picking up on the crumbs or taking the milk. You have to mature in your faith. I've been reading a book on discipleship written by Travis Agnew. And in that book, he says to this passage, their lack of biblical knowledge threatened their ability to display godly character. Have you taken any steps in your faith in the last month, six months, year? Or is this all it is for you? Are you just taking the, the sermons you get on Sunday morning and trying to process those and never doing any growth on your own? Are you involved in life groups? Are you looking for mentorship? 
Someone who's a step further along in, in the faith so that they can teach you the mistakes that they made and how they got through those things. Faith doesn't happen by, I'm not sure this is the right word, osmosis, is that, is that the right word? Nobody knows science in here except Nathan, so we're good. It doesn't happen by just this exchange between us. It happens by work that you put in. That's why Paul continually says you have to train yourselves just like an athlete trains themselves to run a race. Are you taking responsibility for that? The second principle we see is we have to learn to recognize truth. That's why the writer of Hebrews said that when you're, you're maturing in the faith, that's when you recognize the difference between right and wrong. It doesn't just happen. There are a lot of false teachers out there. Some of us listen to those false teachers, not even knowing they're false teachers. I could begin to name some of the popular pastors that are out there right now who you may listen to on on Spotify or on a podcast or watch them on YouTube or see clips of them on Instagram or TikTok or whatever it may be, people who are spewing false falsehoods and we're buying it. You've got to be able to recognize truth. You've got to be able to recognize when I mess up because I don't get it all right up here. I've been called out before, usually by teenagers. It's terrible. You have to, to learn to recognize truth. Travis Agnew also said that the greatest opponent of biblical Christianity is not combatant critics, not those who oppose us, but cultural conformists. In other words, those in the church who were saying, I don't want to offend anybody, so I'm just going to kind of hold my beliefs in, or I'm going to conform my beliefs so that I can fit in. There's far too many Christians who are giving in to the teachings of the world and not standing firm on the truth. And it's ruining your walk with Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, To the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He, he doesn't say that, yeah, I showed up, I died on the cross, just say, I love you, Jesus, and you're set free. Now, you're saved if you've committed your life to Jesus, but you're still in bondage to that way of life that you always have. Those temptations are still there. And he says, when you know the truth, when you've listened to my teachings, then you will be set free. Then you will be able to live the abundant life that I have called you to live with the purpose that I have called you to live. If you lack a, a, an ability to recognize truth, you will always fall prey to temptation. You will always fall prey to the schemes of the enemy. Because the enemy is very convincing. And he convinces us that lies... Our truth. You have to take responsibility for your faith. You have to learn to recognize truth. And we have to learn to live in the Spirit. Because you can't do it on your own. The verse I read earlier during our prayer time 
says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. We have to learn to live in the Spirit because freedom ultimately comes only when we are giving way to the Spirit's work in our life. Letting the Holy Spirit change us from the inside out to enlighten us to the truth of Scripture. And when we receive the love of God by surrendering to the gospel, it produces that love in your heart. We, we don't do these things because we want to earn favor from God. We do these things because He's already shown us that love. It's already available to you. And you may think, well, I've messed up pretty bad. Yeah, I bet you have. He still loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. He still loves you. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. Not because I want to earn His love, because He loved me first. I love Him back because He's shown me so much mercy, so much grace. I love Him back. And ultimately, these things, when we're living in the Spirit, experiencing His love, that is what produces fruit within you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The abundant life that He's called you to live. So what must you change in order to change? Everything. You're a slave to Jesus, not to the world anymore. What has to change in order for you to change? It all has to change, but you keep doing what you hate. It's the beautiful thing about the gospel. J.D. Greer says that the irony of the Christian life is that only the ones who get better are the ones who understand that their acceptance by God is not conditioned on their getting better. In other words, when we really recognize the truth that He loves me, that He has already paid the price, I have already won the victory, and we really begin to understand grace. That when we mess up, that doesn't mean He throws us out of the family. It means we need more grace. And when we decide to, to make choices in our life and, and walk away from things that we know are right, grace begins to become more evident in us. If we're taking responsibility for our faith, if we're learning to recognize truth, if we're living in the Spirit, God's acceptance is what liberates you from sin. It's not a reward for you liberating yourself. What has to change? Your relationship to God has to change. Everything has to change. But it only starts when you recognize this gift that He has given you. It's sitting right there for you to take. He has given you this opportunity to, to 
walk away from the things that you hate and to have this life of abundance, even though it's going to be hard, even though you're going to mess it all up. Over and over and over again, as you grow in your faith, that becomes less and less. And when you do mess up the the joy that came from that, the temporary satisfaction is just not what it used to be. Because we want Jesus more. It, it begins with accepting this free gift that he has for us. If you would bow your heads as we close this morning. Have you accepted the free gift in Christ? Or are you still trying to liberate yourself? Oh, I believe in Jesus, but i got to get myself right before I can go serve Jesus. I, got, I believe in Jesus, but i got to get this right in my life before I can serve in the church. I believe in Jesus, but there's no way He'd forgive me with what I'm doing right now. So, so let me get that right, and then I'll come to Jesus. No. The gift is there right now. I don't care what you did this morning or this weekend or the thoughts that are in your head right now. The gift is there. Do you believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin? Do you believe that He was a real man who died on a cross and was raised three days later to defeat death? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God in the flesh? If you do, His invitation is to come follow Him. He's not going to fix you overnight. You're not going to be fixed in this lifetime. But you will experience the abundant life that He has even as you deal with the trials. If you have never received that gift, today's the day. Would you... Just right now, if the Lord is saying, come to me, would you raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I see you. Anyone else? I see you. Now, with nobody else looking around, Would you look at me for a second if you just raise your hand? Jesus loves you. Now, I don't know what you're dealing with in life, but he is inviting you right now into a restored relationship with him, whether it's the first time you've accepted him or whether it's you finally understand what he's doing. He's inviting you right now. If you want to surrender to him this morning with nobody looking around, would you, both ladies that, raised your hand. Would you come and just, my wife's here on the front row. Raise your hand, Christy. Would you come? Just talk to her for a moment. Would you come? Come on now. Nobody's looking. Would you take them to the office? Just talk with them.
For the rest of us, we're either declaring Jesus as our Savior or we're saying, I don't really want it. If the second one's you, if you don't really want it, I would encourage you to rethink that. But if that's still where you land, why are you here? Go fishing. Go play golf. Enjoy the things of this world because that's all you got. But if you are declaring Jesus as your Savior, are you ready to lay down your self-effort? Stop trying to do it yourself and live in the reality of His grace. I'm not going to have you come forward unless you feel led, but if that's you and you know you've been living in your own power trying to do things your own way and you just want prayer, I'm not going to have you stand, but I will ask you just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you this morning. I won't even call you out by name, but if you would say right now I need to to lay down my own self-effort and just accept the grace of Christ. Would you raise your hand? Father in heaven, as we worship you for just a few more moments today, Lord, would you create in us a lifestyle of worship where we can can live in this reality where we're not bound to sin. We do have a way to get out of those things that we hate. But Lord, convict us of our need that we have to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. If we want to be able to recognize truth, we've got to live in the reality of the Spirit. Lord, would you convict us of that? Would you lead us to mentors who can help us walk down that path? Would you show us truth? Lord, help us know we are not bound by sin anymore. We have abundant life only available in Jesus Christ. It is there for the taking. Help us win the victory today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.